0: whole separate thing in terms of what what does that mean? And then I thought yeah. well as, as you, people who meet me would say I'm black in terms of how I look to the color of my skin. So therefore everything I have to do to kind of show that I'm doing black art or I'm just doing art, that's how I felt. I was like well, I'm just doing art. I can only speak from my truth and what I'm coming from and what experiences that I do and I'm inspired by things like nature and birds and I feel those things are universal. I it's a different
1: You are listening to Colour Out The Box. Um, As always this is Mo and welcome to Colour Out the Box podcast. As always you can find the show on all social medias at Colour Out the Box on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Join the conversation, use the hashtag and let us know what you think. And this week I'm joined by Christian. Christian do you want to introduce yourself?
0: Hi, Hi everybody.
1: You can you can say
0: a bit more if you like. Okay. Well, hi, my name is Christian. I'm 37 years old from West London, and I'm a visual artist, and um, that's what I've kind of been doing for the last 12 months, really. So, yeah.
1: Okay, and we're going to get into all of that. Um, before we get into the main part of the podcast, I always ask everybody an icebreaker question. Okay. So today's icebreaker is: What do you wish someone taught you a long time ago?
0: Gosh, that's such a Difficult question. I know. I think what I think the value of self educating yourself, like the self education. I think if somebody told me that books, in terms of, I mean just general books in terms of stories, I mean books in terms of what I call self help books or what we would call business advice books or expert books. I think if somebody said to me, you know what, working for yourself and learning everything that comes with business doesn't always have to equate to doing a business degree or right. anything like that. I think the idea of saying there are actually books out there that can help you do this and teach you to do this I think that would have been really valuable if somebody just said that to me like because I always I think when I was at school I, the idea of doing business or running my own business was always mm-hmm. like oh well, I haven't got a business degree I didn't do business at school and mm-hmm. I think if somebody said to me a long time ago I think you know you can you can get this stuff and you can learn about it and it's pretty much free because books are not expensive you haven't got to go into a course you can really self-educate yourself and I think that's that's quite valuable to me.
1: And talking of businesses I actually do think that it would be great if more was done about teaching people to be
0: entrepreneurs
1: or even just some basic life skills like you know how to do your taxes that would
0: be helpful absolutely i think there's also you know some of the really basic things that you can learn in school in terms of how to manage your finances mm. how much money you know not spending above your means really simple things and really simple rules and also prioritizing what you may need your money for later on in life how to save for a house you know what i mean those i think are really practical things that we can learn because when you go through the school system, especially if you go all the way through and you finish your university, you're left with a debt and no one's ever said to you, well, this is how you manage it. This is how you pay it back. This is why you should pay it back earlier. This is what interest means. This is what variable rates means. And it just sounds really simple, but as an adult, most of the time when I do, to touch the world of finance or with banks I still don't understand what those things really mean when they talk about you know interest APR. Or <laughs> rates or APR exactly how many of us can really honestly say oh yeah we know exactly what that means and what that percentage is yeah. the payback? we don't we don't
1: I know what it means on like um, store cards. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. Someone was saying, you know what? Getting a store card, learning that the APR and the interest is not that good. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you have it, buy it. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. That's basic lessons that we need to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that's a good answer. So. We would have, you would have liked people to have taught you about life skills a little yeah. bit sooner i think
0: so i think having one lesson on life skill would be ideal in the school for every child because everyone's going through different situations
1: yeah okay so let's actually start the podcast okay Okay so Christian thank you first of all for um, being on the podcast it's much appreciated Um, as it's your first time on Colour Out of the Box let's actually learn a little bit about yourself so you said that you would refer to yourself as a digital artist what is that and what does that entail?
0: I think the, the main difference between a digital artist and a, what we would consider a, a, a standard or normal artist would be the tools that I use. So when I create my art, the tools that I use are digitally based. So I use my iPhone to take pictures. I use my iPad to draw on. I have an iPad stylist that I use to draw within a special program called Procreate. Then I would export that into another software called photoshop which would then end up being sent to my printers to be printed in a in a real physical form so i think it's just the tools that i use while a traditional painter would use paints acrylics you know canvases you know and and oils and things like that i use digital tools to create my art so therefore from the beginning when i start doing it there isn't a physical product but I end up having a physical product because I then print it and people buy it and they put it on their walls so yeah.
1: And where did where did this all start from like um, is this something that you've always done like how did you get into this space?
0: Um, I think it started back at university I went to Ravensbourne and I did fashion illustration for my degree and back then we were just literally learning about photoshop and illustrator they were still very new softwares. Um, that people were using to to create things um, in a digital space. Then, when I finished uni, ended up in the fashion industry. Worked for a couple of companies. Didn't really enjoy the industry. Left. Went into corporate. Um, became did more on the marketing, promotion, branding side. Mm. Then, when I finished that, um, I did a TV show. I've done. I've done I've lived like so many lives. Wow. And then when I finished the corporate really.
1: space. Uh, um... Let's not,
0: let's not gloss over that. Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: What was the TV show and can we find it on YouTube?
0: You can find it on YouTube and the TV show is called Phone Shop Idol, which was on BBC 2. They did six episodes and it was about finding the best salesperson who sells phones in the UK and it was so much fun. I did it with my friend Sunitra and another judge called Mike and we had the biggest laugh and it was basically, um, I was working for a publishing company at the time. And it was a mobile phone publishing company. So we ran the Mobile Industry Awards in the UK and we ran another co- awards called the Mobile Choice Awards. And I would then interact as a community manager to sales store staff who were selling mobile phones. And we basically ran this, this competition had been running for years. And then we okay. found out we were doing it and they're like, well, let's record the a year in the life of this competition. So I was the head judge and yeah, it was good fun.
1: Okay, I'm going to be looking it up just so Absolutely, you can still it, I mean,
0: You can still find it on the UBSD website like doing this like funny pose and it's so funny because all my friends refer to it as just, like the pose on top of the roof because it's just so oh, anyway. Yeah, you Okay, have to I, I need to see that.
1: So sorry I interrupted you. Carry on. Yeah,
0: that's okay, and then when I finished when I was in the publishing industry and in and in terms of relation to my art, when I was in the publishing industry, that's when I loved to love paper, if you know what I mean? Like okay. that's when I discovered paper in terms of which sounds really weird. Like you don't discover paper. We always use paper around us. But when you're in publishing, it's really about the type of finish, what the what it's printed on, books that you make mm. for clients, what type of ink, how long is going like you start getting into the like all the nitty-gritty of printing and publishing. Um so that's where I discovered the love of paper, I guess. Then when I finished that I worked for two major um corporate companies. I was doing marketing and brand and community management. Um, then I gave that up like two years ago. I decided I wanted to go into teaching and it felt like it was the right time to really go into that. So I was teaching digital media communication um, and creativity at a university in West London. Um, and then the coronavirus hit. I was literally a year into the job and I had a contract with the university and they let the contract go um, because of uncertainty around you know the, 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 the university in terms of what they were going to do. And one of the hardest things about being a contractor and facing the pandemic is your contract just ends. You don't get furlough. You don't get redundancy. You don't get anything. Your contract finishes. That's it. Because, you know, that's how it works. So I decided that when the the beginning of the pandemic, which happened in March 2020, I was really trying to figure out what do I do next and how do I do this? And, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to figure it all out. And, in one way, that the pandemic gave me a chance and an opportunity to really think about my next steps. It gave me a time to pause and reflect and really try and figure out, do I want another job? Or now do I have to start really thinking about the next career that I want? And also, I want this career to be a lifelong career now, like for the rest of my life, not just thinking... I can get another contract. I can, you know, get some part-time jobs. I can, do. but no, it was really the time to pause and really think about my future as a whole and my career. And I decided I wanted to work for myself.
1: That's so interesting because I feel like I'm in a i've I've gone through a similar situation as mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Um, so, I I I actually worked full time, um, yeah. and um, pandemic hit, and then the company I worked for were like. Hmm, you guys don't work here anymore. Wow. So, <laughs> so oh. I um, I actually lost my job. And I it's funny because I've actually not really said that on the podcast before because um, at the time, I don't know why, I felt a little bit embarrassed by it because right. I never not had a job. I don't want go from job to job. And I, I'd gone through the very traditional route of working. So I work yeah. at, for a company Move up or yeah. move to another company and continue my career. And yeah. for the first time, I was um, without a job, and I I remember not really telling anybody because I was just like,
0: "Gosh, yeah, I can you imagine?" Yeah,
1: I, I was I was a bit embarrassed, and it seems so silly now when I think about it.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Similar to yourself, I had that epiphany moment of, "What do I want to do?" Yeah. Do, you know do I get another job do I think about starting my own business do yeah. I study and for the first time I was just like you know what I'm actually going to study so I did that I did some online courses I took some time out yeah I'm still taking time out so mm. yeah I completely understand um it reminded me of a tweet that I saw actually this week by someone called um Val Val mm-hmm. Val and they tweeted, God, I just want to be creative, but all my energy is being used to survive. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's I, so feel true. That. I feel that.
0: Absolutely. And I, and in terms of that being embarrassed, like, I can definitely relate to that. Because one of the things like if you, I mean, I've been in several publications over the last year in terms of being in the paper and stuff. And when the story that they tell, they they want you to tell is almost how you how well how you started your business, how well that you're doing, and how amazing it is, right? Yeah. And the truth of it is, when I when I think, really think about the story of what I've gone through and how and why and, I, and how I can relate to that embarrassment, um, I left home when I was 16, and mm-hmm. I've went out and I put myself through college, put myself through university, not through any you know disagreements or problems with my family. My family were very much like, okay, you're 16 now, you can go and live your life. That's that's yeah. just how they were. So. If you now imagine we move forward and I'm 37 years old and when I decided to start my business I was living in Croydon in a really nice flat I, I was in I' engaged with my fiance and then suddenly I thought to do this business I'll need to you know business absorbs money right yes I, I've got a little bit of savings so maybe I can you know how can I save when I'm paying let me look let me look at my finances actually I'm paying like 15 sixteen hundred pounds a month like you said to survive So I can't put that into, so maybe I have to move back home. Okay. So I have to have a conversation with my mother. Oh, my mother is going through cancer treatment. Oh, okay. I now got to tell my fiance, we have to have this conversation about how we need to move in with her to save money so I can start this business. That is, you know, imagine now thinking to say to people, what do you do? I'm 37. I live at home and I've just started a business. Do you see what I mean? And yeah. you can say that to close <laughs> personal friends, but when you speak into yeah. the press and and you know you, how you're doing the articles, it's all oh my business is doing so well, everything is so great because you're doing the PR push, you're talking about your business. But when you think about the realities of what's how the struggle that you have to go through, and like you were saying that I just want to be creative and and I'm just busy surviving. I had to make massive changes and massive sacrifices you know just just around to my fiance and say I know we've been together for like five years but and we've been living you know living separately independently but we're now going to go and live with my mum oh okay just yeah. the <laughs> conversation in itself that's a whole other podcast in itself yeah. so, like
1: <laughs> you know what, I was just about to say let's do an episode on that like moving back from your parents yeah your yeah partner, um how that is even because a lot of people are in that situation absolutely it and was I something think, that I even thought about like I was just like if I'm really struggling yeah maybe I have to move back in with absolutely my
0: absolutely yeah. and it's a it's a real thing and I think the advice I would say to people is look don't worry about the embarrassment that like we talked about think about if I have to take two steps back make sure you take three steps forward like the reason you're doing it is because it's gonna be the launch pad to something greater if, if you haven't got no no plans or no goals and no the long term view about what you want to do, then it's going to be tough because you're going to be stuck there not thinking what you're doing. And in, 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 at that point, you can see yourself, well, it makes no difference whether you're living at home or you're living independently. If you haven't got the plan, then nothing's going to really going to work.
1: So do you So let's just um, focus on your business. So your business is you basically you produce these amazing pieces of art. And you sell um, the prints. And I've had a good peruse of your website. Have you? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> I did. And your Instagram, very beautiful. Guys, do have a look. Details will be in the podcast description. Thank you. Um, do you think that you would have had made the jump had it not been for, okay, the uncertainty um, and the pandemic, do you think that this was almost a catalyst or was it always a vision that, OK, I'm going to set up this independent business of my own?
0: I, I would say if I had to describe it in, in a visual way, I would say for those people who do visual mood boards or anything like that, I would say it was Love on it. my vision mood board. Yeah, or it was. But I would have never activated it if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, it's, it sits in the back of your mind, and you go, "Oh, I'm really busy now because I'm now doing education. Or I'm really busy now because I've got like a side job that I'm doing some work freelancing. I'm really busy now." So you never really stop and think about what you really want to do. So I don't think I would have ever done it because of the if the pandemic hadn't come, because I was too busy doing something else, right? You know, and I put it back in my mind because like I said to you in in terms of I wish people would have told me how to educate myself I wasn't sitting down and reflecting and reading and understanding how you start a business how do you start online business how do you show your work creatively how do you make it so you don't have to have storage and like you mentioned in terms of my art I I create it and it's all digital because it's print on demand it's all limited edition which means there's only a set amount of pieces for per item and once that's sold that's it you can't buy any more but but it's it, it it's it's on demand so all the master files sit with my printers which are digitally stored and then when someone places an order then they receive that I get the then gets printed then it gets sent because i wanted a business where i wasn't holding on to stock or yeah. having like a warehouse and things like that because i needed my business to be n- nimble you know
1: and i think that's such a important point as well cuz one of the things that i've been learning about is like selling digital content and you you're obviously selling the arts but even like things like people are selling their expertise you yeah. know you know templates cv templates um yeah. to, you know even how um like um checklists all of these kind of things are available for to purchase and like you said it takes away the need to actually hold like physical inventory which is Absolutely. not only can be expensive but also do you have space to store it all Absolutely. Um,
0: and then you got to yeah. think about when you're storing something physically, you then mm. have to have the warehouse. Then that's got to be alarmed. Then you have to have the insurance liability. And then, do you see what I mean? So the moment you have physical stock, you have to start thinking about all the things that comes with having physical stock.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you mentioned, I think everyone focuses on, OK, this is how I you know, achieve my dream. And it's all very kind of like glossy and yeah. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. What what were the actual challenges? Because I think sometimes it's um I read things online. I read a lot of blog posts, and I'm always like, okay, these are great tips. But sometimes it would be nice to know, like, okay, this was a challenge, and this is how I overcame it, or this is something I hadn't anticipated. So, Mm -hmm. what were some of your challenges?
0: Some of my challenges, I, I can break it down into into two into three areas. The first area was, I'm going to launch this business. Why am I launching this business? Mm. what is the reason behind it what am i giving to the world and i read a really good book by um simon sinek called um start with why don't know if you've heard of it but there's a little there's a little ted talk about it and there's also um his book that he's released about it and what was very different and very approachable that book was he wasn't telling you how to set up a business he was trying to get to the point as to why are you setting up a business what is the reason behind it but you know, what are the things that you're going to face? And what is it you're actually giving to the world? Like, and I thought that was so interesting because it wasn't like the checklist ABC of how to set up a business. This was us challenging from the the get go. Why are you doing this? Like, why are you really doing this? Mm. You know, and I thought that was really interesting. So I, I read that first, but going back in terms of what the challenges were, as a creative, I knew if I set up this business, doing the art itself or creating and illustrating and and, you know what paper is going to go on how it's going to look how it's going to finish the sizes you know the test prints I knew I had that down based on my background in publishing and you know I'm a quite process driven person so I knew I had that down I knew I had a degree in terms of I know how to illustrate I know how to draw I know how to use you know paints as well as digital tools I knew I had that down what, I, what the struggles was is you always forget when you run a business, and I, and I think for a lot of artists specifically or creatives, is the challenges are around tax, brand protection, right. marketing, expenses, building a website, maintaining a website, having stock on a website, making sure that all connects and works, how to send newsletters out to people, how to yeah. work with PR and get in the press, knowing your numbers, finding your target market, you know, <laughs> international distribution, how, it's a carbon footprint of your business. I'm
1: here like clicking I'm away because I'm just like yes, yes, yes. We don't know. We don't
0: right. know. That's what. That's what I've had to learn. I didn't have to learn the creative bit. Mm. I had that in the bag. What I had to learn was how to run a business. Right. And being by myself, my my, my partner helps me in terms of you know helping me with distribution and helping me with um you know setting things up because he's a he's a process manager and he, you know that's what he does. So for me, it was a case of oh, I've got to learn how to do put a business, how to run a business day to day and that's the bits that as a creative we don't really like to talk about we don't really want to deal with or do like imagine saying oh today i'm not going to draw i'm going to sit there and do my expenses all day boring like like you know what i mean it's almost like oh i really don't want to do this i don't want to go anywhere near this but you have to learn it
1: and you know what i think that's really um it's really good to hear because i I say it's really good to hear it's not good to hear that someone else is struggling but i feel i feel so like the same because yeah
0: the struggle Real. <laughs>
1: I'm working out how to set up my mailing list, like I'm still, I'm just about finished. Or do I did my website by myself, and you know, like you said, like every time you I finish something, it's just like, oh, but then what about all of this yeah. other stuff?
0: <laughs> Have you thought about Instagram or YouTube yeah. or the podcast or? Do you know what I mean? Like, there's always something else that you're not doing as yeah. in a business. Always.
1: And it's funny because I go onto other people's pages, including yourself, and I'm always like, okay, their Instagram looks amazing, their website looks great, you know. Oh, you know, how did how did they achieve all of this? You know I and mean? and you forget that there's this person probably frantic in the background, absolutely, to put it all together and maintain it all as well.
0: Yeah, and I think what I did was in terms of how I did that or doing all that is, I read books. Yes. I've read loads and loads and loads of books. I've, written, I've I've. never read in the last 12 months so many books in my life on things that I had no interest in in the past.
1: Okay. Absolutely.
0: And I, one of the things that I learned recently was about brand protection. And I spoke to an expert online about how to become a trademark. And, you know, and I went through all that, which was so interesting because then you realize, okay, it's about arming yourself. So when I was reading the books, don't get me wrong, I didn't do the trademark um, processing myself. I read a book and I armed myself with the right information. So when I spoke to a trademark lawyer and we were having a meeting, yeah. I was able to I was able to know and understand what they were talking about, and I didn't know back. what
1: questions to ask.
0: Exactly, exactly.
1: I think that sometimes is the hardest thing is knowing what some. You know, obviously you've gone to a service provider, a lawyer,
0: expert,
1: yes. but where. What what do I even want them to do? Like, where do I start? Yeah. What, what questions do I ask as well? And I
0: started with the real basics. Like when I said when I spoke to the trademark lawyer, I said to her, "Can you say, can you explain the difference between a trademark and a copyright?" And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." And she she told me I knew, but you know how you need the confirmation of what you've learned. And See, you I don't was- even know. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you you know, and, and you, I sat down with her and I had that meeting and we were talking about that and what the difference is and what you can trademark against and how you can copy. You know, what I mean, it was just very interesting because suddenly you're talking to an expert. I'd arm myself with the information that I learned from the book so we could have an actual conversation so that I can talk about what my needs are as a business. And then she can say, this is what you need. This is the kind of thing that you need. So.
1: So what, what's your official, like, trademark brand
0: name then? So my trademark is Christian Zoland, So just oh, my name. I love it. And then what you can do is you can then add other things to the end of it. So you can add Christian Azoland art, Christian Azoland illustrations, ah. Christian Azoland drawings, Christian Zoland. But because, because you've trademarked the Christian Azoland bit, that's yours. That's mine. That's my name in terms of... No one can use that on anything else to try and say, oh, this is a Christian Azolan card or this is a Christian Azolan slip. Okay. Or this is you know, they can't do that now because have They can use the word art illustration because it's quite difficult to copyright those because they're real everyday words. Yeah, of course. So but but having Christian Azolan, that's kind of unique with my name and my surname, as long as when they search the database, when they register it with the IP. That there was no other Christian O'Zolan, which uh, luckily there wasn't, then they start oh, processing nice. your trademark. But if you have a name, unfortunately, like John Smith, ooh, it's probably gone.
1: Ooh. <laughs> you know what? Let's thank our parents for having you know
0: <laughs>
1: exactly having these names. Exactly. <laughs> I've looked into my name and definitely my first name and surname, no one has it. So yeah. I've always kind of like, yeah, when I'm ready to set up my empire.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's available. <laughs> so in terms of like people buying art, you know, we're, we're supposedly going into the worst recession for the last like 20 years or so. How has it been for you? Like, are people still buying art? Are people still indulging? What has yeah. been, you know, how 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 has it been in the market?
0: um i i think it's a two-part answer to that i think one of them is with a recession which is always interesting whatever happens in the world in in business whenever someone says there's a recession there's always winners in a recession and there's always losers
1: it's a double-edged
0: sword (laughs) so when some people say there's a recession there's a lot of people in the recession making a lot of money so don't you know
1: champagne and enjoying life
0: (laughs) exactly which side of the sword are you on that's the question Um, I've spoken to quite a few artists I've, I've just recently moved into an artist collective in Perivale, in Ealing and there's loads of other artists in there and I get to speak to them all and one thing that I found over the last 12 months is how they've really suffered is in terms of they're like oh I haven't sold anything and I haven't it's been really difficult because there hasn't been any pop-ups and I haven't really got a website and I'm kind of known through galleries and things like that so they've really struggled while mm. on the other hand, my business as a digital business, purely online, selling prints that are distributed all over the world that can be easily replicated in terms of the, creating the product in itself, mm. I've been on the other side of it. So I've, okay. my, my business has actually grown through, during this time because I, I, if you're an original artist selling paintings and you're relying on a gallery and all the galleries are closed and you can't mm. have a showing, those buyers can't come to see your work and buy it because you don't sell anything digitally. So are they selling prints? Probably not. They're probably still doing their original art. I'm on the other side of that where I'm kind of in the digital space. I can, I've had customers buy my stuff from the U S France, Germany, the UK, um, Australia, South Africa, because my product once it's printed, I can ship it anywhere Mm. and they can view it online and then they can think, "Hey, I'm going to buy that." So the, the trans the trans the transaction takes place online. Mm. I've also spent the last year um, setting up, you know, sales channels with I'm on Saatchi Art, I'm on Simply Noir, I'm on Wayfair in the UK and Germany. I'm on a new one called Row river, you know, and I'm on curated crowd. So I've spent the last year building up the digital presence. So if people can't find my website, I'm at least on another channel. I'm also on Amazon handmade. So people are buying stuff online because they've been resort to doing that over the last year, because there hasn't been galleries opening. there hasn't been exhibitions. there hasn't been pop-up fairs. They haven't, you know, the traditional ways of how we normally shop has changed. So I've adapted that to my business practice so I'm now online and I think a lot of people are buying I've spent the last 12 months buying art because they've been stuck at home so they've been looking at their four walls yeah. and they've been thinking oh I might buy that picture I might get that picture frame I might
1: I, that is so true because even me being at home I have looked at like you know you notice things more so I'm just something wall. maybe I should do something about it absolutely or, or, like you said, sometimes you just get bored of looking at, you know, your four my walls are uh, magnolia
0: yeah. and a brown. Yeah. Um,
1: and you think, like, okay, what can I buy to, you know, spruce it up or yeah. bring some life to yeah. it?
0: But and people have also been creating new spaces at home because the, everyone's working from home. They Now yeah. everyone needs a home office. Everyone yeah. needs a garden home. <laughs> yeah. Everyone needs the new garden office. So they need the new garden. You know what I mean? Like, so people have been really thinking about, oh, now I need to create a new space. My little nook in the corner where I've got my beautiful piece of art and I've got my new um, PC desk and I've got my d- external monitor and now home's become a place of work. So they're thinking about changing those spaces so they create people are creating new spaces into their existing spaces and it's all contained within the home because they haven't been spending money on going out to the cinema going to sports events going to nights out going to clubs yeah. going you know what I mean like they haven't been doing all that so they spend it at home
1: you know that's been one of the really nice things to see is how creatives have had to adapt because like you said a lot of creatives are freelancers and you know work independently or have their own business and haven't received, Mm. if any, assistance from the government um, during this very difficult time. So I've been so inspired and amazed by how people have adapted, like you said, um, set up websites, uh, made their products or their um, content available online, or even completely adapted in terms of, you know, I know people who are like um, PTs, so um, physical trainers, yeah. doing online classes, doing, yeah. um, selling nutrition, um, kind of like menus and stuff. Exactly, like that. exactly. Really and I think, and I really appreciate those people that have used this as an opportunity to kind of like adapt and flex to this. Absolutely. kind the of world we're currently living in.
0: Yeah, and there's this. I mean, there's this really. Hor- I hate this. I hate corporate words, but there's this word that everyone's using at the moment. It's like one is staying nimble, which I just think is just yes. such like. The other one yes. is pivoting. <laughs> the other one is pivoting, which I just think is so oh, like. Yeah. That's <laughs> the worst. I have pivot my business over the last. How have you pivot your business over the last year? You know, it's all like, feel- kind of words. I just think. I, oh, feel-
1: I feel like I've written that on an application recently absolutely. about. Being, <laughs> I'm being nimble. <laughs> so yes. <laughs> I agree with you they're very yeah. annoying corporate yeah.
0: words. and, and, and what that, when you really think about what that really means is like you you said it before it's just adapting to the situation yeah. and thinking yeah. okay I'm a traditional artist so maybe I should start selling some prints to, to get through this yeah. this this situation and some people they don't know where to start they don't know what to do and some people are just like yep yeah, I'm ready to go I know how to pivot into this I know how to start, start online and do you know what I mean like some people have really that they don't need that kind of push to do it they already know they're very nimble and yeah I'm going to do that I'm going to change it really quickly while others are just like where do I start what do I do what book should I read should I read a blog like where do I get the information like you know they're they're, they're scrambling around because they've never had to do this before so I I, I really feel for those.
1: I think that's the push that some people when I say some people I'm talking about myself needed we were pushed in the deep end and one of the things that I realized is that I was working, I enjoyed my job, it was a great job and everything, but I hadn't really had a chance to consider, do I want to continue doing this? Mm-hmm. And when it was just taken away and, okay, now start to look for a new job, um, I was actually in the process of applying for a very similar job,
0: mm-hmm. Yes.
1: and I decided to withdraw my application because I was like, I'm not sure if I actually want to do this continuously So let me take a moment and take a breath. And that's one of the things that I took as a positive from this situation. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I I, I know exactly what you mean in regards to that because when I – became redundant or my contract finishes, I've got a massive network online on LinkedIn. And a lot of my friends who obviously I've made connections in that, in that space or colleagues or past colleagues are like, Oh, we've got a marketing job going. Do you want to do that? We've got a, we've got, and and I'm grateful for that. that They reached out and they wanted me to do that, but I was in a different headspace and I, and I, and and to me, it was like, that's not what I'm going to do anymore. I'm going to do something completely different. So that was, that was quite tough because it's so easy to, take the salary and just report into yeah. and get the paycheck every single month. It's so easy and it's... And don't get me wrong,
1: I miss that money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong either, it's, it's, you know, it's different, but now you're earning new money and, I, and what I've realised is I'm now earning my money. Yes. I don't have to give anybody else a cut. This is for me, yeah. this is mine and it's all my hard work. So if I wake up one day, like I did on Monday, the previous week I worked, literally Monday to Sunday and on the Monday I woke up, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing any work today. I'm just going to sit and watch Netflix because I I, I need to rest today. And before you'd have been thinking, oh, I need to approach my boss. I need to do this. I need to send an email. What what, what have we got going on? I need to speak to somebody else. Can somebody take my workload? Blah, blah, blah. No, I didn't have to do any of that. And that was so nice. <laughs> I think when you work for yourself, you end up working more than you ever did when you work for somebody else.
1: Yeah. Because... No, it's you. You've got skin yeah. in the game. It's your business.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: So, in terms of your art, how would you describe it to like a new person? Like, how? What? What kind of style? Who are your inspirations? How would you? If If I've never seen it before, how would you tell me about it?
0: Um, I oh gosh, it's quite difficult. I would say it's very. Gosh, I've never, you know, what? I've never been asked to describe my art before. Really? Never, okay. never. Even in interviews I've had, no one's ever, they've always described it for me in an article or, you know, whatever they've done. No one's ever asked me what, I, what in terms of what it is.
1: Because I could, I could say how I That would it.
0: be nice, actually. Yeah, what do, you, okay. what do you, because I think sometimes as an artist, when you create something, there's a really great um, quote by Andy Warhol, and he says, you know when it comes to art just create it and let, and let somebody else decide what they think of it okay. and how they want to take it and before they come to their opinion you carry on making art you know so yeah. like, it'd be good to get your take on what you think my art is or yeah
1: okay. so, when, nice. so what I've looked at I've seen uh, it it kind of it's almost like it's very like minimalist simple <laughs> But still graphic, if that yep. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I get this kind of like calm but happy feeling by looking yes. at it and everything. So it feels calming, but doesn't feel because sometimes when you think of minimalist, it sometimes sometimes feels a bit cold. Yes, yeah. Whereas it still feels warm and happy.
0: Yeah, yeah I, so feel, that's I like think that's actually graphic. very fair. I think that's <laughs> fair because I would. You're right. I think it is. It is very minimalist. I do. I've done a couple. I've done two abstract series. I've done a couple of illustration polygon series, and then I've done some really high-end polygon stuff, which takes hours and weeks and sometimes months to do. Um, And now I did a bird series, which is a reaction to the pandemic and being at home and looking out and and looking at birds and understanding their freedom and then realizing we're now stuck at home and we're the birds in our own cages. So there was that. And then my new series is off the back end of the pandemic um, which I created towards the end of last year, which is called Genesis. And it's quite interesting with Genesis, actually, because it started out from the point of... I don't know if you've ever read the Bible or read anything um, in terms of the Genesis yeah. book. But everyone, I think <laughs> everyone knows the, the line where it says, um, let there be light.
1: Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think if you
0: visualise let there be light, what everybody says to me, and I've you know, this to my friends and family, they go, oh, like a bright white light. And I always go... Well, that's interesting because white light is actually a spectrum. So I think if, if the person, the, the God that they describe in, gen, in Genesis was creating the world, I think he would use different colored lights. I think there'd be a bit of pink in I there, like a bit that. of blue, and a bit of green, and a bit of, I think he's going to use all the spectrums rather than just this white light that we, that we all envisage when we actually think, well, if he's creating the world and it's a new beginning and it's things that we've never seen and it's, you know, things that have never happened before, I can't imagine it just being one color. So that's where yeah. it started from. But it was also on the back end of this idea of, I wanted to make art that kind of healed you. Like you said, it just brings you down a little bit. It makes you think and contemplate. And and also with this series, what I did was, I made sure that the art didn't have no identifiable marks on it. So okay. therefore, you could hold it, you could put it portrait, landscape, upside down, back to however you want, because I think art should also include the viewer and how they want to see it and how they want to react to it. So I wanted to make sure that one, the viewer or the collector plays a part, but also I wanted to just bring it down a little bit. It was, that's why it's about the colour and the mood and this luminescent that's mixed together because we're forming these new things. So I wanted the idea of people to look at it and just go, oh, that's quite nice, you know, and just exhale yeah. it, it, into it. And, and if you look at all my series, they're all different because and i and i want to keep that in terms of my next series will be completely different to my last one and then the next one will be completely different to my last one because i don't want it, i don't want to draw, draw birds for the rest of my life i don't just want to to paint you know genesis colors for the rest of my life i don't just want to make hearts for the rest of my life i kind of want the people who like my stuff it's okay for them to go oh i'm not really keen on this series but i might i may like his nice one or do you know what i mean and i think that's okay i don't think you can please everybody
1: no that Trust me, being uh, doing this podcast, (laughs) I (laughs) realise that as well. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) Um, I was actually going to. um, I just wanted to like ask, like, are there any kind of other artists that inspire you or influence you, or you'd recommend like listeners to go and like check out?
0: In terms of other artists that I like, I think I like some really traditional artists. I like um, Gustav Klint who did famously a picture called The Kiss and he's used gold in a really interesting way. Um, I, I'm also slightly obsessed with the art deco and the art nouveau. Um, so any artist like Audrey Beardsley um, around that time is is really great. Um, I also like Salvador Dali you know, in terms of his surrealism. I wouldn't say there's any modern artists that I, I, I like. It's not to say that I don't like their stuff. I think when, for me, when it comes to inspiration for my own creativity, I tend to look at books or I tend to look at films or there's music that influences me and, and things like that. So uh, there are, there are certain artists that I like, I would say, you know, old artists or, you know, what we consider the safe artists that everybody would probably know about if they did any art history. Um, But in terms of new stuff, I always try when I'm thinking of doing a series is just like for example the birds. I actually watched the birds by Alfred Hitchcock, which is when I first uh, okay. got the idea because <laughs> yeah. it was the idea of birds suddenly attacking you that, and you know that, this idea that, that,
1: of, to this day it freaks me out. I'm sorry,
0: yeah, can <laughs> oh, it totally does. Yeah, and you know when when you really think about that film, it, it's something so normal as things that we see every day like birds suddenly turning on us and mm. I thought that's a bit of a horror story but also the pandemic is a bit of a horror story because suddenly the everyday normal things like hugging talking cuddling sleeping you know you know the norm that we normally do it's human interaction yeah it's true to do it that. That deadly you know yeah so so I, I guess I'm inspired through different things and sometimes I, I I read a lot of books I sometimes um social events really influence me and I mean um, I'm doing. I read. I read in the paper somewhere um, that there's this. Um, if you're a black woman and you live in London, the idea of being represented in the corporate arena is so small that you're almost at like a disadvantage. And, and and I know this from personal experience because I've worked in corporate for about eight years, and I've I've rarely seen black women in in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, then I've, and I've rarely seen them higher up in terms of CEO board level, right? That's almost unheard of, right? And then the other thing that I read was if you're a woman, you get paid less. So I thought, gosh, can you imagine if you're a black woman living in London, you, you when you're born, you're already at a disadvantage compared to other people. So yeah, I, I just thought.
1: That story of when I found out certain things in my job <laughs> that had to be rectified around pay. It's it's something that is very real for a lot of us, and um, Yeah.
0: yeah. And I only really knew that when I started talking to my other black female friends, who I started learning their stories and their struggles and what they're going through and why it is so difficult and why I don't see them in the corporate spaces and why they're not getting promoted to the higher levels. That's when I started really understanding, and that's when. That's my new series that I'm working on right now is called Little Black Girls. That's the working title. And it's really about that. It's about looking back at and also I did some research in terms of black women or black girls in 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 fashion, in sorry, in art history. And what you find is a lot of pictures are either passive They're either slave girls. There's something about cotton fields. They're either in a background as a token image. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's that's always been the case, but I'm saying a majority of when you type that in and you look back and you research, that's the representation. And then the other flip side of that is this over-sexualized representation of stereotypical what i called what i what i've called myself now tribal art which is this whole oh big lips big hair wide hips big thighs barely any clothes on you know boobs out whatever and it's always i always find that really interesting because i think well where's the ones of them looking powerful looking like royalty looking celestial looking beautiful and don't get me wrong there are some artists who are doing that but i think if you did a google search You'd be very you'd you'd have to scroll down to at least page four or five or six Mm -hmm. before you started seeing those images. And I think there's a lot of modern artists and photographers and creatives coming out of of that space who are making a real difference and they're changing that. And I wanted to be part of that dialogue. So my new series is going to explore that.
1: That's so interesting. And definitely, I think it's something that I will definitely be checking out because. um, May, who's, um, often on the podcast, we did a whole episode on representation of black women in the media. Mm-hmm. We actually talked about those tropes and stereotypes of, um, you know, either the strong black woman, yeah. you know, or the over sexualized, um, black woman. And there doesn't, there didn't seem to be enough of, you know, just that in between piece Uh yeah. we're just, Going about our everyday business, and we even talked about even sometimes, not even sometimes, how that strong black woman stereotype and trope is mm. like proving to be dangerous. Absolutely, we're not believed when black women are in pain, or it's be you know, and we this label of strong is put on black women to excuse um, the abuse that and um, the pain that we are, mm. you know, we have to endure but it's like oh but you're strong and I'm like oh god no I'm you know I'm just as the next person like you know I don't want to go through this struggle yeah it's not something that I think has to define me as a person
0: absolutely
1: in terms of imagery because I do photography as well I have also been trying to look for just more images of like black people in general just living life you know it doesn't always have to be you know the extreme of the struggle or yeah extreme of the hyper hyper sexual like that's fine but i'd also like to see some variety and some other imagery and not just in photography but in film tv um art all facets
0: absolutely absolutely and it's it's very And the thing about it is a lot of the times it's actually very subtle Mm. i mean like one example i was talking to my friend about and she she said to me you know why was scary spice just scary
1: like why she, was she scary? Yeah, because because she gorgeous. was,
0: she no, hair, yeah, she was loud. She had big hair. She wore leopard print, and she was always shouting. And you are kind of like, well, that makes her scary. I was just sort of like, that's most people that I know, <laughs> you know. And
1: she, and that's the thing when you know when I think about the Spice Girls when I was younger, I was always like, why was she scary Spice? Yeah.
0: there was something very scary about her and I don't know whether she's kind of played into that stereotype now I don't know or you know anything like that but I I watched her in an interview once on you know going off an interview I think it was with Piers Morgan who I actually can't stand but anyway um he was you know she was doing her life and she was talking about her struggles and how you know her growing up and when she lived in in Sheffield and how tough it was and things like I was just like yeah you know what again it's this whole they've struggled and it's been hard and it hasn't been easy and she's had to stand out and you know i think it's you know, and you know she's someone who doesn't even have to talk about that because she's got what we would consider the wealth the influence you know the money and you know the big house and the lifestyle and she when she decided to talk about that, she still talked about the struggle and i thought it was really interesting because being from seychelles um what what you when i when i when i grow up because we're um Multiracial. i mean i mean i have to be really careful with that word because it's almost like i've been in the past i've been called half-caste mixed race you know and multi-heritage you know this i mean sometimes it's too difficult to keep up what people are describing and what the latest word is which i find quite Mm -hmm. tough at times but when you grow up in seychelles you realize that you're already mixed of cultures you know really? my grandfather's Indian my mum's family are from Africa I've got European descendants I've got some people from Portugal and some people from England so that mix is already there so in Seychelles it's very difficult to do this whole black or white you know I, because I, I, I think when you think our neighbours in South Africa it's very much and their history has kind of shown the black and the white in that in that division yeah. and, and when you grew up in Seychelles it's really difficult because everybody's from everywhere and everyone's so intermixed. Some of my cousins are very fair skinned. Some of them, you know, are, are not. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's very interesting how this idea of race, because when I, when I grew up, I've never really felt what I would call the struggle, if that makes sense. And don't get me wrong. Don't, I I may not have been aware of it, but the interesting thing is, I, I didn't feel that way as compared to some of my American friends when I lived in America for a year, who are very much. This is how they treat black people, and this is how they treat black, black. you know white people. The only so, thing
1: I would say is that just because I always get, I always say to people, don't associate. You know, blackness and struggle are not synonyms. You know, like we yes. you know, we don't. You know, we don't all have to go through the struggle. We don't. I don't want the next generation to go through. The same issues and struggles that this generation is going through. So I always say, like, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be a part of your story. And I think that kind of like leads us on to like the next topic. Um... You actually posed a question.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I actually wrote it down. So you said you have been told by a few people. That you don't do in quotation marks, black arts. Yes. Yeah, and you find that interesting, and you've been asked by journalists, would you love to do some more black pieces of art in quotation marks? Yeah. Which um, which is which I actually find quite interesting. Question. So let's let's talk about that. In yeah. Terms of- it's
0: it started because when I was doing my first series I was doing I did I did a series on hearts then I did a light fantastic series which was about the environment and the the spaces around us and how we interact with light and then my third series was the birds um which was just literally birds you know flying in the sky and, and, and and having all the symbolism around that and then I was speaking to a journalist and I won't say which publication it was because I don't think it's fair because I think sometimes just people just don't know and he was talking on the phone and he said I really like your stuff and really want to show it. It's great that you're up and coming and people are really liking your stuff and I really like it. It's almost like that kind of pitchy kind of stuff. I really want to feature you, but we've kind of got this whole like Black Lives Matter things going on. And I, you know, do you have any like black art? And I was literally like, what What, what does that even mean? Like, I was just like, what, what black art?
1: I feel like I, I referred to it on last week's episode, um, Black Square Summer, um, yeah. because you know, these big corporate, you know, media outlets all put up their black square. And rather than actually doing stuff that is going to support black people, I seem to be caught in this, um I don't know, this um um box of trying to just do stuff that looks good. Yeah. Rather than actually doing the work and the research. So I can absolutely... Imagine that being said to you. I, I don't have to imagine. I know that happened.
0: Yes. It's just like, and I, I, to be fair, it kind of took me back. And I was a bit like, at first, I was confused, then I was slightly baffled, and then I was offended. Do you know what I mean? I always was like, what black art? Like, what do you mean? It was like, you know, like black figurative art, you know, you know, like some tribal prints or whatever. And I was just like, but that's not what I do. And for me, to need to start doing that just because. I'm black, and you're referring to me in an article as maybe a black artist, which is also something else I have another problem with. But anyway, that's a whole separate thing. In terms of what what does that mean? And then I thought, yeah. well, as as you people who meet me would say, I'm black in terms of how I look, to the colour of my skin. So therefore, everything I have to do to kind of show that I'm doing black art. Or I'm just doing art. That's how I felt. I was like, well, I'm just doing art. I can only speak from my truth and what I'm coming from and what experiences that I do. And I'm inspired by things like nature and birds. And I think those things are universal. I don't think they necessarily are just for white people. I just thought that was just a really weird thing to somebody say to me. But I guess he what he was thinking was, and not to defend his statement, he was almost thinking of the article, how it looked in the paper. And it would be like, you know, me, a black artist posing, then some of my works, which are very, figurine, featuring black figures, and then talking about how I'm a new up and coming black artist. And I was just like, well, I don't want that. I don't want that read really about me in that way. And that's not mm, what I am. I think so- you'll be
1: too kind. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, think, I think sometimes you have to educate people and, and I did end up having a conversation with him saying, so well, you know, I, I don't want to do this this is how I don't want to be represented and this is not what I think it, it should be I had to turn the offer down, the opportunity but I did still think he, he walked away thinking oh, that's a shame I'll just ring another yeah. black artist you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he wants to do it you know, and I was like, okay
1: because I think I know what he meant I think he was like, okay, we're trying to do, you know, the whole in quotation marks Black Lives Matter, you know, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah, I would like some black or you know, African inspired, inspired stuff. And I think there's this very kind of sometimes a very narrow view of what that means,
0: absolutely. So
1: it's almost kind of like it's it's the very kind of like, um, I think he was looking for. I don't know, something that had some kind of like tribal like or African prince. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's something is it, that was overtly what they consider. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Trans- it's his interpretation of that. And I think that's really interesting because I also think, I know a couple of artists that I follow on Instagram, gosh, the names can't come to me now, are literally, I would say, white artists who really depict black lives and black environments and black experiences and black portraits of black people really well mm. do you know and they think to yourself well would you consider their stuff black art because they're white and their their main body of work depicts black lives and black experiences and black people you know would you consider them black art or would you consider that piece black art because it features a black person in it so it's, I think it's really interesting I think it's really interesting and
1: so uh, I have a question yeah do you consider yourself a black artist who makes black art? Or are you an artist that
0: just happens to be black? I would say I, I'm an artist that, that happens to be black. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think I can consider myself a black artist. I think when someone says you're a black artist, I think it's almost like a label that they give you. Yes. You know? Or you're a single woman. You're a, Do you know what I mean? You're an only child. Or do you know, there's, there's words that people give to us that sometimes we adopt, sometimes we reject against but i would say i'm just an artist and i just happen to be black and I've got a black, i put oh i have black heritage how would, how would you answer that one
1: but i think that's the case for a lot of things because i think what it does when as black people or as asian people when we are being asked these questions i always say but would you ask the question to a white artist?
0: That's interesting, isn't because it?
1: Because I don't think anyone is going around and asking white artists, like, can, 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 you, can you give me some of that white art? Like, yeah, yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one, yeah. No one's yeah. asking none of yeah. that it's because, you know, it's just a case of that's their art. And I think sometimes as black creators, content mm. creators or um, mm. artists, we are automatically put in this box of, okay, this is the kind of stuff that you're going to do. And maybe you haven't even seen that. You've just seen me as a person, as a black Absolutely.
0: person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I also wouldn't, if I did, let's say I did open the paper tomorrow and I saw an article and somebody was, you know, posing and they're like, I'm I'm a black artist doing black art. I'd be like, okay, that's fine. If, the, if yeah. that, you see that your label, and that's how you want to represent yourself. And that's what you want to put on your website or put that in your bio. The fact that you may be from, you know, a black country, you studied at a black university and you consider that part of your identity. So to have that color associated with, your name or your or who you are as a creative i think that's perfectly okay as well as long as mm-hmm. you know it's it's really how you want to react to that that word and whether you want to own it or not own it depending on who you are but don't have it imposed or forced upon you
1: exactly so like even with the podcast um if when i look at my analytics um on spotify may, a lot of my audience um are black women mm-hmm. um know around like our age group yeah um, but there's also like a whole load of other people that listen that don't fit into those categories so I always say as a black content creator I make content that is for a black audience but it doesn't exclude other people yeah. if that makes sense and Absolutely. it's una- it's content that is you know from my own mind and you know that kind of thing it's not like I'm setting out that okay I'm gonna make this
0: mm. for
1: black people
0: absolutely Definitely,
1: I want to service um, my audience but it's not something that excludes other people from
0: exactly yeah country. and I and I think sometimes we, 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 we're so busy Fig- figuring those out. And when you have other cultures around us who don't have to do that because they know pretty much where they stand, you know, who they are, what they do, it does come down to identity. Because like I mentioned before, my grandfather's Indian. I I don't know any Indian languages. I don't know much about the Indian heritage. I don't know much about Indian culture as much as I would like to know. So uh, am I ignoring a part of my heritage that I don't know about? Probably. Um, should I make more of an effort to do that? Probably, but I can't beat myself up about it because I've no. got other things to to, to to do and worry about. And, you know, it, it may be nice one day that I visit India and find out where he was from, where he was born, what he did, how he, do you know what I mean? Like you, you can't beat yourself up because when we're busy doing that, other people are kind of living their lives and they haven't they haven't got to worry about their identity of who they are. So, you know, it's almost like, don't worry about it.
1: But even going back to my previous point, does it have to be about your heritage? Because as I say, when we're looking at white artists, I'm not thinking, okay, yeah, that's the, I don't know, the... Anglo-Saxon in them coming through the I I don't, you know, I just think about, you know, how, like you said, how that piece makes me feel and what, you know, what am I interpreting it? I think sometimes, like, I wonder, like, me as a black woman, do I have, if I was an artist, would I be expecting to produce content that always features other black women? I I don't know. I don't know.
0: I think, I mean, when I've I've read books on on art and how to present your art, and one of the quotes that came out for me, that stuck with me was, um, it's this idea of you can can please the critics or you can please the mass market, but it's very difficult to do both. Hmm. And I think when it comes to the mass market, that's kind of almost led by the people that buy your stuff. And there's nothing you can really do about it, you know, in terms of I have a website and I can't really... I, I don't really sell it to any particular demographic, I don't really sell it to any particular mm. person or type, so I, I can't control that. But when it comes to the critic side of things, and it's the art critics and the collectors and the galleries, I think there is this idea to, they, and they use the word curate, to really mean an idea of what they think your stuff is and should be and how it should be targeted and focused, and to whom, which is really interesting. So you, you, I, I think it's very difficult to do both.
1: Mm. I do think that there is sometimes a pressure when you um cuz like I I often talk about this in terms of like um sometimes whiteness is set as the default and everything else is other yeah. and I remember I listened to um I saw online there was a clip of um the writer Toni Morrison yeah she's been interviewed and the okay. interviewer asked her can she is she not going to introduce more um you know um white characters into her stories um into her writing um so she can enter the mainstream and I I'm paraphrasing and I'll actually insert the clip into this podcast. Yeah. I'll insert it right
0: here. Maintain this safe place for yourself, for your art. You don't think you will ever change and write books that incorporate white white lives into them substantially?
1: I have done. Mm. In a substantial way. You can't understand how powerfully racist that question is, can you? Because you could never ask a white author. When are you going to write about black people? Whether he did or not, or she did or not. Mm. Even the inquiry comes from a position of being in the center. And being used to being in the center. center. Being used to being in the center. And saying, you know, is it ever possible that you will enter the mainstream? It's inconceivable that where I already am is the mainstream. But my point is, Toni Morrison had a great um, answer to to that. In terms of, she said, "Well, first of all, why why do I have to? Why Mm -hmm. is it considered mainstream by having white characters?" And also, um, why are you even asking me this question? Yeah. Um, you know, you'll hear in the clip, it's very kind of, you know, whiteness isn't the centre. You know, the, the, the world is so big. So mm. I often, when I think, when I talk to different people that are creatives and artists, I'm always like, well, you produce art, you put, you're you creative, you produce content, and in terms of whether you're black or Asian, mm. that's who you are as a person. And whether you incorporate that into your work, that's completely up to you. But I just don't feel like there has to be a pressure to do so.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I agree with that. I, think that. I think that makes perfect sense in terms of, I don't think anybody wakes up in the morning and they think, do you know what, today I'm going to wake up and buy some black art. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some people do. I think I've always said to people, whenever I've done, you know, interviews and spoken to people, I've always said, they always say to me, you know, what art should people buy and I'm like art that they like yeah that's the answer art that they want to look at every day and put it on their wall you know and if you want to make a political statement with art go for it if you want to just invest your money into just black artists and black owned creatives go for it if you want to you know I mean if you like the classicals and you like buying prints of the old masters it's okay you know, I'm I'm not going to judge anybody. I'm in somebody's house and go. Do you have any more? Do you have any more black art? Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think I just don't think people do that or live that way. Maybe some people do. I don't know, but I, I don't know anybody like that. So,
1: well, I'm going to completely contradict to myself right now and just say that I do actually like discovering new black artists and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and um, I do like supporting like black businesses, but. This stuff has to be like nice it has to be something that I want to purchase so yeah yeah I yeah. I completely uh, agree with you there in terms of I'm not going around like, oh I'm not going to get that because you know it's not black enough for me or yeah. something yeah. I, just, I don't know what that means exactly
0: what does that mean yeah I mean yeah. what does that mean but
1: yeah I actually posed a question on Twitter um in terms of to creatives in terms of like do you think that you are a black creative that produces black content or are you just a creative that happens to be um black so um for anyone that's listening I'd really love to hear what people think or your views and um do you agree with my you know myself and Christian or are you you know are you completely you know against us
0: against it (laughs) no
1: we don't like it (laughs) Okay, let's take a break. Okay, so Christian, we've come to the point of the show that I always enjoy and it's highlight of the week. Yeah. And anything that you want to bring a spotlight to, a shine to, to share with the listening audience. Yeah. If you would like to go first or you would like me to go
0: first, how do you want to? You go first. I'd like to hear what your highlight. Okay.
1: I've always got one ready.
0: (laughs) <laughs> might be so random, but it does make sense. But it's random. Oh, but yeah.
1: I love a random one. Love yeah. it. So my highlight of the week is going to be um the short film, um, um Third Act. And it's a story by Olan Collardi and Leon Main. Um, and it's available on YouTube. And I'll put the description. I'll put it in the podcast description. And it's just a really beautiful film. In terms of the film... Not much happened because obviously it's a short film, but it's shot so beautifully. Um, all the actors are great. Um, but yes, that's my highlight of the week, and I'd recommend anyone to go and watch it if you've just got like a few um few minutes better. But that's my highlight of the week, and I like it because it's it's mainly black characters, but in a way of not black excellence, because I find that mm-hmm. sometimes that I like a bit of black mediocre, mediocre (laughs) mediocre-ness, I like a a bit of like averageness and also it's um and also the characters are quite nuanced and they have flaws so I like this whole feeling of like it's just like every day how we live our life and then there's a story intertwined between the characters in there somewhere so that's my highlight of the week.
0: What a great highlight. Gosh, going to sound so stupid now compared to you. <laughs> no, go for
1: it. Go for it. <laughs> um, over the last,
0: um, I'll tell you what the highlight is in a second. But just to give it a little bit of context. Over the, mm. we all know over the last twelve months, eighteen months, they've been bringing a lot of back of back. back they've been bringing back a lot of shows and sitcoms that were out in the nineties. Mm. Right. So I grew up watching Frasier. I do
1: right? like Frasier,
0: and they're bringing back <laughs> Frasier. But what was interesting was, and and when I started reading more about Frasier is, and I've also, when I when when have you seen the show called Girlfriends on Netflix?
1: Yes, Yes.
0: of course. (laughs) Most, you know, most of them. (laughs) Um, When I was in the US, I was living there for a year. I watched that show and and I didn't obviously watch all the seasons. But when it came on Netflix, I watched all of them from start to finish. And I thought it was Mm. really interesting. But what I didn't know was that Kelsey Grammer was the executive producer and championed that show. And back then, he faced a lot of opposition in terms of, well, who are the white characters? Who are they going to be the, the famous guest stars? And you know the typical format that you get with a sitcom back then. And what are they going to talk about? Things about black issues? Oh, well, how's that going to, you know? It was, and he was, and I, he must have faced so many issues in terms of putting on a show like that wow. back then.
1: I have a slightly different spin because I know the same story as well. Oh, okay. Um, so the writer, oh my gosh, I forget her name. Um, it's something like Brock Kill. Yeah. She um has been shopping this all over the networks, and mm-hmm. they didn't want to buy it. And yeah, Kelsey Grammer was like open to it, but it's because his he had this deal with the network, and they just basically anything you want to bring will just let you make it kind of thing and he just yeah. he kind of needed to offer up some new content yeah. so um so she obviously did all the writing yeah. you know put all the stories together and yeah and he got an executive producer credit so yeah
0: that's good it's interesting isn't it in terms of you know, doing a show like that and putting your, your name to something like that, because exactly. I like, was so famous and, and big at the time. But anyway, I, I what, the, what the link was to this week was I heard that Frasier was coming back and I thought, oh, no, is this going to be as good as it was the original? And that's what I just kept thinking. Is it going to be as good? And will it be funny? Are they going to bring out the whole cast back? Also oh,
1: they're going to like literally like just carry on the series again? So the you know,
0: there's talk that he's moving to a new city and it's just him meeting ah. new people. So I don't know yes. what's been fully confirmed, but the idea is the character is back, I guess, in his own, that world that they've created. And I think he's going to be in a new city. I don't know. I don't know. But I heard that it's coming back and I thought, oh, that'd be interesting. But my first thought was, mm, will it be funny Will that should be any good? <laughs> or, will it, or will it feel a bit dated and a bit... like? Yeah like it doesn't it's not relevant anymore a bit like when they talk about bringing friends back and i thought oh that was awful the first time around imagine bringing it back again now like <laughs> ooh. so interesting that's my okay. of the week or my you know little tidbit for the week
1: no i like it and it's funny because last week um well two weeks ago myself and may we talked about coming to america the part two um and oh, how, how sometimes remakes are not always needed but sometimes they do work <laughs> Can I ask
0: you, think, what did you think about that? Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: What, what does um, Aretha Franklin say? Beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm going
0: to say. Well, you know what, my take on it is, I, I watched it, I enjoyed it, but I also felt the film could have been called anything else, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, and sometimes you watch a sequel or something and you go, yeah, it's good. And you, you brought back anybody everybody and it was just, it was almost like nice to see everybody, if that makes sense. Almost like a reunion. Yeah. Party.
1: <laughs> a family reunion.
0: <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, that's nice. But I kind of thought the film, you could have called that film anything and I probably would have still watched it to be fair. Yeah. I don't necessarily... So well interlinked to the original story, which is actually *Coming to America* is one of my favorite films of all time. And there's this one specific scene in it that you need to see, where they open the room when the guy shows them the room, and they've got like the, the 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 out the outline of the dead body and the dog. And the,
1: yes,
0: <laughs> <laughs> see it, there's a, there's a like a little rat that runs <laughs> that runs across the stage. When you're looking an apartment in New York, and he yeah. makes you laugh every and it's not the scene it's the fact that this little rat is almost like just doing his own little thing in the room and it just makes me laugh so much but yeah Yeah. one of my favorite films
1: yeah so yeah beautiful (laughs) 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 gowns. so (laughs) okay so christian we've actually come to the end of the podcast thank you so much this has been so much fun like you know from just you know
0: meeting on the internet <laughs> uh, <exactly. laughs> oh, I, one little one little thing i've got to say i've okay. never before i actually listened to your podcast and you know i was listening to some of your previous episodes i'd never actually listened to a podcast
1: oh my gosh i listened,
0: listened to yours
1: you know what? We're gonna talk after we stop recording because if you're new to podcasts, I'm that person that I'm like okay, let me share with you. That's like my love language. Like you yeah, know, sharing podcast recommendations.
0: This is kind of podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. So I will send you a list. <laughs> of things that you can listen to because there's so much content out there but um, where, tell, the, tell the audience where can they find you and your work as well
0: sure they can find me on my website which is christianazolan.co.uk and they can also find me on Instagram under Christian Azolan Illustrations. And that's where I share most of my my, my content and my work. So But thank you for having me. Oh it's been yeah, so good. Thank
1: you. And I'm gonna put all your information in the podcast description. So Great listeners obviously this podcast is you know listened to by billions of people um so they can all buy all your work so please really? get, get yeah. yourself ready so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah so as always um you can join a conversation use the hashtag um hashtag color out the box um find colour color out the box on all socials um on twitter instagram and facebook Um, also go and visit the website as I said it's been newly updated and read the blog as well and I would say this week um, if you are looking at the website go and check out our um, piece that we did on Shola who's an illustrator as well and she talks about her process and her challenge of depicting black women um, for a whole year so go and have a look at, at that and I will put the link in the description. So yeah, until next time. Bye. Bye, Christian. Yes, <laughs> say bye as well.
0: <laughs> I thought it was like a little outro bit and I just had to, you know. I didn't know. It just didn't know.
1: It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> done. Oh, Thank you so much. Apologies, just over an hour. No. But, no, yeah. no sorry. but yeah, that's it. So I will edit that and that will be out on Monday.
0: Oh wow, so that quick. Oh gosh. Yes. Oh, so
1: cool. I'll I will edit it I say I always say I'm gonna edit it now. I don't.
0: <laughs> no, you edit it at like two a.m. Like, like evening. yeah. Literally Sunday night. I'm just like, oh my god, why didn't I do this? <laughs> I mean, you're creative, you're like me. Like I'll do, you like, I'll do it now. No, I'm gonna do it Sunday at four a.m. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I
1: always, I'm always just like last minute editing. But yeah.